Here's You, Episode 2, Feeder. I guess for the longest time I just thought there was something wrong with the birds. You know how birds can be. Jesus knows I love them, but they can absolutely be a handful from time to time. You put out a bird feeder and sooner or later one of the big ones will come out of nowhere and break it or knock it around just enough that half the seed you put in there goes flying everywhere other than where it's supposed to go. Or there'll be times when you'll be woken up either too late in the night or too early in the morning by one of them just breaking one too many silences in a row. Like I said, a handful, but you really do have to love them. They're a bit like kids, I suppose, and I've never really been able to say no to them. Thankfully, Gary was always the same way. You'll laugh at me for saying, but I really did meet him quite some time ago at a showing of Hitchcock's The Birds. Or is it Birds? I apologize, my memory really isn't what it once was, but yes, we met there on opening night at the only theater that existed in the town we both grew up in. He was running concessions, handing out popcorn, candies, and soda pops to anyone with a dollar and change to spare. And even though there were so many of us, Hitchcock being the big deal that he was, it felt like he only had eyes for me. And as it turns out, he did. We started dating a couple weeks later, much to the sincere disappointment of my parents. They'd always held out hope that I'd snag myself a nice doctor or something like that, but my very own theater man seemed just right for me. We dated for a little over two years, all that time spent either walking the streets of our town after sitting in the pizza parlor or watching special screenings of movies the night before they came out. He always told me it could get him fired, that every last act of cinematic mischief might be our last, but there was always a smile and a wink that came with those words. They were low stakes, and we were young, and he really did have the prettiest smile I've ever seen. What's a girl supposed to say to that? How's, how's anyone going to hear those words said so charmingly and do anything other than fall right over in love? I asked my mother both those questions when he asked me to marry him. I didn't even hesitate when I said yes, and it was the best decision I ever made in my life. It's a wonderful gift to find someone you can grow old with. Time slows to a crawl in the absolute best of ways, stretching out like forever, but in a way that is meant just for the pair of you. And it's as if you had a thousand years. And sure, we didn't technically have that, but we still had decades and decades more after that, and while at first we traveled and wandered around the country and then the world, we kept coming back to that town we grew up in, that quiet little space in the eastern parts of Maine. It was our home, I suppose, both of ours, and it's hard to ever fully say goodbye to the land that brought you together and all the memories you made. So I suppose that's the nice way of saying that eventually we just got old. Soon the flights of fancy that took us to Spain became 
smaller moments that were walks down by the lake that was only a mile or two from the house we purchased once we retired. Soon we saw the big world in a little theater room Gary had installed in the basement, a giant screen and a little love seat because we didn't entertain much and that was all we'd ever need. Even in his old age, he was still such a handsome man and I wasn't about to be anywhere other than huddled up tight against his side. And then our mornings became what we came to love most, the quiet parts of our days where we'd sit out back on the deck we'd once stained ourselves and watch birds for hours and hours at a time. And it wasn't that there was ever anything we hadn't seen before, just the ordinary birds of the day, but it was enough for us. Every moment was a little flash of reliving those first memories of our life together, both when he winked at me when handing out my popcorn, and then when he slipped into the theater halfway through the picture to sit by my side and keep me company. He really was a gem of a man. I know you'll just be taking my word for this, but I promise I'm not steering you wrong. When he passed, and I don't say that to garner any sympathy because he had a long life and there's something about dementia that by the end you're just ready for the hard times to be over. But after he'd gone, the words they wrote in the newspaper about him would confirm everything about my handsome man I've already told you. They wrote so glowingly. I still have some of the nicer pieces framed up on the walls. I think you would have liked that. It would have made him feel special, like one of the movie stars we spent our lives watching. Sometimes when I'd feel a little bit sad and lonely, I'd just sit in the living room and think about how funny he'd find it if he just walked through the front door to see those little monuments to him hanging next to the fireplace. I just know he'd try to get me to take them down. He was never a prideful man, but oh no, I wouldn't be having any of that. He'd be my very own Cary Grant and he'd just have to live with it. I suppose you could say I never stopped missing that gorgeous man. Not once. You can't go through life together and just be content once they've gone. Not even if it means an end to suffering and all those things they tell you are coming with old age. And I know that's a bit selfish of me, so you don't have to go on about how all good things must go and it being the way of life and so on and so forth. I already understand. But life is hard and lonely sometimes, so it's easy to forget how to be thankful for what's been when all you can really focus on is what's left. I definitely tried over the years, that much you can be certain of. I never looked for something new, don't get me wrong, no one was ever going to replace my Gary, but I did wind up rather determined to live my life happily so that when we met again, I'd have all manner of things to tell him. I even started going out on the water. Can you imagine paddleboarding at my age? Goodness, if I had told anybody about that, they'd probably have me committed somewhere nice and white and where every blade of grass is cut the exact same height. I just wanted to see something new. I wanted to float in the water and see birds we once only saw from the shore. It seemed like a lovely idea, and it wound up being a source of great peace for quite some time. I'd spend hours out there, just floating and listening to migrating geese and ducks as they came in for graceful splash landings, and 
I'd lay my hand in the water where it would feel every now and then as if Gary was next to me, holding it tight. It was therapeutic for my old soul, and I figured wherever my husband was, he'd be looking down at me with that lovely smile of his, and he'd be counting down the days until we were together again. He probably was, too. I don't think I've ever been wrong about that man before, and I can't imagine I'm about to start now, but it is strange how things have turned out and how odd it all has gotten. I'm sure that sounds repetitive to you, but I really don't know that there are enough words to fully sum it up. So in the end, I'm just doing my best, like we all are. I don't think there's anything more we can ask of ourselves than that. But still, sometimes you just can't be sure how life is going to change. I first noticed it out on the water with his invisible hand holding mine. It was somewhere around September by then, I believe, and that was right around the time all the birds started getting vocal and doing their thing. They were either wandering off or coming in, doing their migration as they've done every year and doing it loudly and without a care in the world for us old folks who might have been in the area and trying to relax. But it was the strangest thing. As the days passed and all that natural noise should have been kicking up to all kinds of frenzy, it all got stiller and stiller until there wasn't really a sound to be heard. Every now and then I'd see something flying far overhead, but they no longer came to that little lake anymore, and I swear to you it seemed like it just stopped overnight. And sure, it makes sense now, but at the time I was all kinds of concerned. I even called the game and fish department that was about 30 miles away. They just told me that birds will be birds and they probably found a new site, somewhere with a little more shelter from potential predators. Now, I didn't give them a piece of my mind at all, my blood pressure is high enough as it is, but I knew well enough that there weren't any killers in the woods that hadn't been there before. Hell, the worst we've got are some pesky raccoons and even they always seem to have just enough sense not to pick a fight with a goose. But I suppose that's when it all really started to register, because after a while, I noticed that it wasn't just the geese that were fading away. It was everything. The mornings on our porch grew quieter and quieter until I'd be out there with the sunrise hoping for some robins or chickadees, anything to make it feel like home, really only to hear nothing at all save for the breeze that would make the trees whisper. It was as if everything in my world had changed, like everyone had gotten out of Dodge and not even had the good grace to let me know so I could tag along with them. And all I could think about was Gary and how sad he'd be to know that our bird children were gone. We never had any of our own, you see, and while we both love cats and dogs, I've always had a serious allergy to the poor little guys. So our birds were our everything, and it was so perfectly fitting with how we met. I'll be honest, those first couple weeks when I realized the game and fish really wasn't sending anyone out and I was just alone with myself in the silence, I got a little down. Not dangerously so, but far lower than I'd been since Gary passed some eight years ago now. It's just hard not to think about things when there's nothing to distract you. It's hard not to dwell when that piece of life you've been hanging on to so desperately is gone. I remember sitting out there on one of those days, 
looking out over an empty backyard where the grass and flowers were growing but everything else was still, and I had the most terrible thought. I found myself going back to that moment in time where I met my marvelous man, reliving my most private and cherished thoughts, and I'd think, what might have happened if there'd been no birds? If I'd just gone there for any old picture, maybe Gary wouldn't have been interested enough to sneak into the theater and hold my hand during the moment when you saw that those devilish crows had gotten Suzanne Plachette. Maybe he would have stayed out with the concessions and our entire lives never would have unfolded together even though that's exactly how they seemed meant to. I instead pictured myself sitting in that theater alone, watching the movie unfold, but Instead of crows and seagulls and sparrows, there was just blank space. Nothing happened, no one fell in love, and there were no survivors because there was no danger. There was just nothing, nothing at all, and when the movie ended, I'd walked out into the lobby alone and left the very same way because just like the birds, Gary was no longer there. It was a horrible thing to dwell on, and try as I might, it was days before I was able to shoo it completely away. See, I didn't know why things were happening, I just figured that something was wrong with the birds. Because while it's true that everything was still and silent, from the lake to the woods behind our house, the three bird feeders that we'd placed quite randomly throughout the yard were always empty. At first I thought this must be due to our villainous and as of yet unseen predator. Personally, I'd always pictured a particularly husky raccoon with eyes that glowed with some sort of Sylvester the cat-like menace, but even that didn't quite fit. And as I said, we'd had those spots set up for ages, and while we were no strangers to raccoons conducting late-night heists, you always knew when they'd been at their most mischievous. There'd be seed littering the ground from where they'd clambered up the pole and sent it all flying. Goodness, there was even a time when two of the things had been toppled completely. But no, this, this wasn't anything like that. I suppose it's easiest to say that some days I went to sleep and woke up to the feeders full as the day before, and on others I'd look out over the kitchen counter and through the window I would always use to watch Gary while he mowed the lawn only to see that they'd all been emptied. There was no seed on the ground, no mess or creature havoc, just the undisturbed silence and the emptiness left behind. It really was the strangest thing. Strange enough, in fact, that I risked becoming the talk of the town by wandering down to the little hardware store about two miles away to ask if they'd heard of anything similar happening anywhere else. They hadn't, of course, although they did say the birds hadn't been as plentiful as usual and that perhaps I should contact the game and fish. I promised that I would because Edith is a lovely woman and has been selling us home improvement items for the last 30 years, but in my heart I knew I couldn't. Goodness knows, if I called them again, they might come down with a straitjacket and a van big enough to take away this old bird. Not today, Jeb. I remember thinking that, to myself and quite loudly, because I always could be a little bit feisty. Not today. I knew your father, and you are not about to steal me away. No, instead I did what I suppose I should have always done. I got Edith to ring me up three more bags of seed, 
We really had been going through it like crazy, and one of those big old flashlights you see policemen carrying in all the shows I have on my television. Gary always wanted one of them. He never missed an opportunity to point out how nifty they were, but sometimes you just have to put your foot down and say, love of my life, we have enough crap. And we did, so that's exactly what I said every time the topic came up and he excitedly showed me a new color the flashlight people had just released. The <sighs> Lord only knows the heckling I would have received if he'd been around when I made that purchase. I can't say I wouldn't have had it coming, but sometimes in life there are battles you just never see yourself losing, and... So when I sat it on the kitchen counter, I couldn't help but smile and cry a little bit at the thought of how much joy he would have taken in the poetic justice of it all. He really was a charmer. I hope you know that my acceptance of his passing and my life alone that's followed isn't meant to act as some sort of judgment. If I'd had any say in the matter, I never would have let him go. I would have clung to him with all my might until either he stayed or I went with him. He was that good, and he was that special. So that first night, now almost a month ago, I did what he would have done. I'm certain there's a Cary Grant movie I could reference where he played an intrepid investigator type on the hunt for someone suspicious, but Lord knows if my memory of even my favorite things isn't just about gone. I turned out all the lights in the house, I closed all the blinds and shades, and I sat with my flashlight in hand in the old rocking chair my dreamboat had made for me on our 15th anniversary. Now and then I'd peer out through the blinds, careful as I could be not to make too much noise, waiting to hear or see something that didn't quite fit the silence that surrounded me. I'm almost certain I almost fell asleep once, twice, at the very most, but I don't know how I could possibly be to blame for that. There was a time when I could burn that midnight oil to get up to all manner of mischief, but I'll be kind to myself and say that that was more than a little while ago. Still, if I had fallen asleep, perhaps even for a bit longer than I'm willing to admit, I must not have missed anything because when the sun rose and the coffee maker set about doing its thing, the feeders were as full as they'd been the night before. I'd be lying if I didn't pat myself on the back imagining a world in which my steely-eyed private detective had warded off intruders with little more than my looming presence and panache. But I suppose that all changed the following night. I suppose everything did, and after that there were no victorious cups of coffee or imagined Bogart flair. There was just confusion, I suppose. Confusion and a terrible fear. There was nothing I did differently, either. Not really. That second night, I poured myself a cup of coffee in the dark and sat down with a knitted shawl covering my lap to ward off the chill in the air. I even sat a little radio next to me with the volume turned way down low, so low that it was barely there, in a desperate bid that this time I wouldn't find myself dozing once the hours got later and longer stretching out as they always do when you're impatiently waiting for something. I remember feeling almost like a child waiting for Santa Claus, except in my little world the big red man was an invisible menace wandering the woods and scaring away my birds. So not at all like the Christmas story, I suppose, but 
It was a comparison that kept me smiling and not giving into the fear that lingered like a persistent whisper, asking again and again what could be out there in the darkness of the woods. So yes, Santa Claus. Those chubby cheeks, red and rosy, he was who I pictured in my mind as I held the flashlight tightly to my chest and waited for something to move and break the still silence that existed beyond my sliding back door. He was just feeding his reindeer. Maybe there was a shortage in the North Pole. It was a little after two in the morning that I cracked the sliding door just a bit and turned off the music. I'd started to feel a little drowsy and thought the crisp night air could help keep my bones from going to sleep on me, and no matter what anyone tells you, there is a limit to how much old blue eyes you can listen to before you're a goner. I figured it was everything I needed for success, the right amount of tinkering to change how things were going, and I was right. I, I really was right. Sure, there's a chance I was just lucky and everything would have played out as it did with or without my quirks changing at the drop of my best Sunday hat, but the fact is that it worked. And in the minutes that followed, staring through that crack in the sliding door and against the breeze that caused me to blink repeatedly, I heard a rustle in the pitch black space that I knew was my backyard. We have a row of lilacs growing along the southwest side. Gary always called it nature's fence, but don't ask me why he decided not to go all the way with it. What, what use is a fence that only goes halfway? I swear the decisions that man sometimes made. But the rustling, whoever our intruder was, I was certain he was coming through the lilacs. In the silence of the empty night that followed him, I turned my hearing aid up as high as it could go and could swear I heard not just the rustle of those little leaves, but also the repeated snapping of brittle twigs as something forced its way through. Again and again, snap pushing snap, struggling snap. I held my breath and gripped the flashlight so tight that my hands hurt. It sounded like a rush of constant movement and unbreakable will, and then, just like that, as soon as it had shown up it was gone and everything was silent once again. I remember that moment more than anything. I remember whispering to myself that I should close the door and go to bed, that I should pull the sheets over my head and just forget that I ever decided to look for something as annoying as a creature in the night who'd been stealing my bird's seed. Let me tell you, there's something about sitting in the dark, listening to noises in your backyard that can do terrible things to your heart. But in the end, I decided to stick to my guns. I asked myself what Gary would do, and Lord knows my Gary wasn't afraid of anything. So I hunkered down a little tighter, nothing more than a little old ball in a chair, and I pointed my flashlight and waited for a sound I knew was coming, even though I didn't know exactly what it would be. No matter how long I'd sat there over the last two nights, I had never really imagined I'd get this far, but I thought I knew what I was listening for, and eventually I was right. It came like a quiet rush, as if I was standing under an awning during a particularly lovely summer rain. I remember our wedding day when friends and family stood outside the church and threw rice in the air, and I remember the sound when it came down around me, little grains bouncing off the hoods of cars. 
It sounded like that, exactly like that. The quick rush of the tiniest things going where momentum takes them. And I suppose I should have hesitated in that moment. Perhaps it would have been a good idea to call someone just in case. But I couldn't think of anything to do other than leveling the flashlight and punching the button as hard as I could. It didn't matter if it was someone stealing my birdseed and scaring away my memories. It didn't even matter if it was something that was somehow worse. I suppose I simply had to know. I wanted back what was mine. It wasn't right that even my birds could be taken away. So the flashlight burst to life without a flicker, just a white hot beam to cut a line down the night, and it settled on a man standing tall in the middle of our backyard, and he had one of the feeders in his hands. I watched, frozen and too afraid to move, as he raised it slowly to his lips and tilted it back until his neck bent about as far as it could go, and down the bird seed slid. He didn't even seem to swallow, it was simply sliding down his throat as he stared up into the sky and let it fall, pound after pound until there was nothing left, and then he hung it back on its hook and began to lift the other one. It was wrong, it was so very wrong, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I was frozen in my chair, trying to understand why my Gary was in the backyard and why he looked so different. I'd spent so many years wishing for him to come back to me, but not like this. Never, never like this. His skin was stretched and sagging, filled with lumps as if every part of him was a chipmunk storing its food. Every bit of him was uneven, legs and arms like potato sacks as if everything he was eating had no idea where it was supposed to go, and the side of his neck was the worst. That was my spot, it's where I'd fallen asleep most of my life. But as he tilted and poured the second feeder and I watched the seed go down, you could see it fill the distended balloon that hung just below his ear, stretching, sagging and falling slowly down as if it was a scale that had met too much weight. It reminded me of being a child and how terrified I'd been when the scarecrow had been torn apart only to begin stuffing himself full again. But I'm not a child anymore, and that was my Gary. I didn't want to look as his mouth opened wide, far wider than it should have, and he slid the third and final column of food down his throat. I tried to tell myself that there was some reason for all of it, some sense, anything that could square the circle of seeing my husband after all this time and what the passage had done to him. But as the balloon of skin on his neck burst, sending a trickle of seed down the bulges of flesh and rot, I found that I couldn't stomach one more second of whatever this was and whatever had brought my lover home, choosing instead to close the sliding door with all the care I could muster before snapping the lock tight. It must have been the sound that did it. I suppose I should have seen that coming, but what else was I supposed to do? He turned toward me slowly, the bird feeder held out before him, and stared as trickles of seed ran from different openings like pus from open sores. I didn't think he could see me, there didn't seem to be enough left of his eyes to manage anything like that, but I think it was that reality that broke my heart most. 
Gary used to have the most beautiful green eyes. I'd tell him it was like staring into fairy tale forests. It wasn't right to see them caved in, like yolky eggs that had been punctured and flattened. And he just stood there, my Gary staring straight through me as heavy bags spilled from him and threatened with every move to burst. It was only then that I decided I'd finally had enough, turning out the lights on the man who stood in the middle of the backyard with his mouth hanging open. With sobs threatening to burst from my chest, I stumbled through the house, knocking things over in the process until I reached the bedroom we'd once shared. I slammed and locked the door, worried that he'd hear it, and then pushed my little dresser firmly beneath the doorknob. It didn't weigh much because I'd never needed much, but it seemed like a better idea than nothing at all. Better than nothing at all. I don't think I slept at all the next three nights. I tried, I really did, and I know Gary would have wanted me to. My Gary, not whatever that was that had been in the backyard standing in the dark. So day after day I tried, closing my eyes tight against the light creeping in through the windows and eventually to the night that did as well, but it never came. I couldn't get his face out of my mind and I sure couldn't stop myself from crying at what had happened to him. I'd buried him in an old family plot about 40 miles away, beneath a gorgeous willow that had always been his favorite. It was never supposed to be his forever home, but it was supposed to do until I joined him and we wandered off to whatever came next. He was never supposed to leave without me. It went like that for a while, a week at least, but I can't be too terribly sure. I'm not good with time on the best of days, and these, well, they just weren't that. I almost called someone, but I couldn't think of anyone who'd understand, let alone hear my side of things before having me put away in the old folks' home that just opened a year or two back. <sighs> sure, they promised comfort and affordable living with a view, but I didn't think a time would come where that didn't sound confining. Not the promise itself, but how they said it. So, as I'd done when my dear Gary had gone away, I suffered in silence and tried to make sense of nonsensical things. I tried to remember my love as he had been, not as the hollow thing in the darkness, trying to get full. It didn't work, though. I swear I wish it did. I tried to blot out everything with our memories. I read the love letters he used to send when he was away on work, I watched all of our favorite movies, and... Once I felt like I wasn't on my last leg, I ordered sandwiches to be delivered from our favorite deli. I didn't answer the door when the young man knocked, waiting instead until he left it carefully on the top step, but I did try. I really did. But as much as I wanted to talk to anyone at all, I couldn't quite make it any closer to the door than the end of the hall that ran from the kitchen to our bedroom. Pictures of him hung everywhere down that stretch, and... I couldn't bring myself to open the door without worrying that I'd see him standing in the middle of the front lawn, staring at me with that open mouth and emptying body. I guess I thought if I waited long enough, soon he would just have to go away. My birds would come back, and I'd be left once again with only the memories of my Gary, which were so much better than the imposter that had come stumbling home. 
It didn't work out that way, of course, though I suppose you might have expected that since you're reading this now. Three nights ago, and I will admit much against my better judgment, I stepped out into the kitchen for the first time since that terrible evening. I don't know what I was expecting or if I should have been expecting anything at all, but what I found when I picked up my trusty flashlight and shone it out the sliding glass door was him standing there. Not in the backyard, mind you, but in the middle of the porch and not five feet from me. He didn't react to the light, he didn't do anything at all. Gary just stood there, his head slightly tilted from the weight pulling one side down, and it seemed for all the world like he was watching me. And it wasn't my Gary, I was almost certain of that, but it was the closest I'd been in almost a decade. He had no small bit of blood smeared across his chin, and where once there had been seed pouring from his ruined body, feathers jutted and poked. Black bristles and white stems jutted through skins so sagged and stretched that sometimes they forced their way out and other times they remained, making rotten skin tents that threatened to collapse at any moment. It wasn't him. My Gary wouldn't have hurt a fly, let alone take away my birds, but... I hesitantly reached out and knocked once on the glass, so quietly that it was basically nothing, and I watched as he turned his head slowly, following the sound to me. Everything about him was so wrong, so warped and full and bloated that he could never look like my Gary. Gary had been a runner, he actually completed a triathlon when he was 55 because, as he'd tell it, he just wanted to prove to himself that he could. He was my perfectly beautiful, handsome man right up until the end, even if he never really knew who I was. He was everything that had been taken away. Taken when we might have had so much time left. I'm writing now to let you know that the sun is going down. I've left a trail of bird seed leading from the feeders to the kitchen door just in case he gets lost and that door is slid fully open. I know this sounds crazy, but I don't think he means any harm. The last two nights, I've found him standing there with his head half-cocked, and he's only once tried to get inside, although it seemed like his hands were too full and bloated to fully grasp the handle, and even that didn't seem hostile. I don't think my Gary would ever hurt me. I don't think he could. We've spent so many years together that even like this, he must know it's me. He must have come back for a reason. Maybe this is a gift, maybe it's something special, and he's not here just to eat and eat and eat until he splits fully open and whatever is left of the man I love spills out across the lawn. Then again, perhaps I have to think that. Maybe to entertain anything else would be just a little too much. The straw in the camel's back, as my father used to say when... Those words hadn't been nearly as overused. I suppose, and this is just the idle thought of a very old woman, that there's a chance I'm lending humanity to something that is frightful, horrible, and vile, rather than accept the truth. That my Gary really is gone. He'll always be gone. And anyone who looks like him is just a coincidence trying to fool an old lady into tears. 
but I'm made of stronger stuff than that, and I suppose... I suppose if it isn't him, if it never was, then at least I'll know. I'll know, and I'll be able to look forward to seeing my darling husband once more, and he'll be just as I remember him. It's dark now, and I'm finding these last bits a little hard to write. I just want you to know that I know what I'm doing. There is no part of Gary that would hurt me. I've already lost enough, and he would know that. He would know that I'm putting my trust in him, and I'm writing this as a promise to myself that I will not scream. This is what I wanted. I, ju I just have to know. I hear him coming in the night now. He's walking up the stairs and the porch is creaking. He's bloodier. Much, much bloodier now. He must have found another bird. A bigger bird. So much of his skin has broken open and he moves so slowly, but I have to believe it's my Gary. I have to believe I'm no longer alone. I'll write more once he's gone, just so you know that I'm okay, but I, I know I will be. He's standing over me and I think he might be smiling. <laughs>